You just missed a home run. I missed out on an incredible deal you were offering at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It just started. You can get beautiful Pella Windows and pay no interest for four years. Visit PellaWI.com. The world's largest music festival is happening now. We're live on the Summerfest grounds of the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. Now broadcasting from the fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin WTMJ Mobile Studio. Here's your host, Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. As the big voice guy says, we are broadcasting live from the final weekend of Summerfest. Uh, the gates have just opened up. It is an absolutely beautiful day down here at the lakefront. Um, not too hot, not too cold, a little bit of a breeze. Come on down and enjoy the final weekend of Summerfest 2022. I'll be with you till 3 o'clock today. Let us get right to it. Um, of course, you know, everybody's been talking about the events of, of Monday where you had the 21-year-old, 22-year-old kid, soon to be 22, who dresses up like a woman, climbs onto a ladder, takes a high-powered rifle, and starts shooting indiscriminately at people who are attending a parade in Highland Park, Illinois. He then tries to escape, gets in his mother's car, ends up driving now up to the Madison area, where apparently he contemplated shooting up a, a, another parade out in Madison, decided apparently that he hadn't planned that enough, so he then returned to Illinois where he was ultimately arrested. The story today is that he has confessed. Now, I, I put this out on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I asked this kind of rhetorically. Given what this guy did, w- would anybody explain to me again why it is that we do not have the death penalty? I mean, it really, if there was ever a case that cried out for the death penalty, you have some 21-year-old kid who clearly plans this, takes, what, seven lives, injures dozens of other people, and apparently was thinking about doing it even more, um, and then just decided, well, there's a chance I'm going to get caught, so he did. Explain to me why we do not have the death penalty. Somebody said, well, it, it wouldn't necessarily deter people from doing it in the future. I could care less about whether it deters people or not. The, the idea that this guy is now going to spend the rest of his life as a guest of the taxpayers at various facilities, you know, in Illinois, it just, I find that to be appalling, actually. And so, give him all the due process he wants, but yeah, maybe we should re-examine the whole death penalty question. But that is not where I want to start the, the program. Illinois has some of the strictest gun control laws in the country. They have universal background checks. They have waiting periods. They have permitting. They have registration. They have all the different things that people have been saying that that we need to have on a national level. And it didn't stop what happened here. Why? Well, I think it begins at one very, very key element, and that is it starts with people who should have said something because they saw something and refused to do that. Now, look, it's no secret. If you look at the background of this guy, it screams mass murderer. I mean, you you just I I was making a point of this the other day. The uncle, um, after the kid is identified as being the shooter, the the uncle goes out and does interviews saying, well, we we had no idea. There were no warning signs. 
To which my response was, my God, what do you mean there's no warning signs? Like like all the drawings that he was putting out of people, you know, dead bodies and people standing there with, with guns and his jokes about school shootings and the violent videos that he was posting on the Internet and his online photos and the lyrics were enough. There's a story out today, apparently on the side of his mother's house, he, he painted a, a mural showing, uh, again, a, a person in fatigues with, with a high-powered rifle. And the father says, oh, that was just his art. <laughs> that, 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 was, that was just his art. Well, let's talk about the dad and what we know. In Illinois, in order to purchase firearms when you are a minor, you have to essentially have your parent or guardian sponsor you. And four of the five weapons that this person had Four of the five weapons were purchased before he became an adult, including, I believe, the firearm that he used in the Highland Park shooting. So dad fills out a a card, a a certification in order enabling the kid to buy the gun. Right. That's just the way it works. So what happens after that is the police, you know, they run the background check. They do all that stuff. He didn't have a criminal conviction. So there was nothing per se disqualifying that came up in the background check. But dad has already said, well, I'm going to sponsor him to have the gun. Now, beyond what we've just talked about, the whole idea of what the kid's record was, what the the violent videos and all those things, we know that four months before dad filled out the sponsorship card, the cops were at the mother's house because the shooter had threatened to kill himself, to kill the whole family. Apparently he was going to use knives that his father had. So the, the, the police take this report. They get that information. The family doesn't want to press charges, though. The family says, no, everything's fine. We just think that he was having a bad day or whatever. So the knives are returned to the dad, but you know nothing else is done. So when the police find out that the guy wants to buy the gun, well, they start checking into this, but the family hadn't cooperated in any way, shape, or form with, I guess, the, the previous contacts that they'd had. The family has no trouble with him getting the gun. The guy, dad's kid's dad sponsors him getting a gun, and then you have all the other stuff, the conversations, the creepy videos, all these things, and then surprise follows surprise. Jan- uh, July 4th, the kid cl- dressed as a woman climbs up on a rooftop and starts shooting. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, in my opinion, none of these, none of these gun laws work. None of these gun restrictions work. If you have people that know or should know that the person who is trying to purchase the gun is a danger, and they decide not only, number one, not to alert authorities, but number two, to actively work to try to make sure the person gets the gun. Who in their right mind, knowing what this guy was like, would have signed an authorization form allowing him to purchase a whole bunch of firearms? So my question is, what do we do with, with Dad? 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, do you hold Dad responsible? Do you hold Dad civilly responsible? Do you hold Dad criminally responsible for perhaps aiding and abetting by not only allowing the kid to get a gun, but actually vouching for him when he goes to get the gun? All right, what responsibility, if any, do you think Dad has? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think 
first of all, Dad is going to get the heck suit out of him. There, there's no question about that in a civil case. In this particular case, when it comes to criminal charges, candidly, in my opinion, what he did, if it's not illegal, it should have been. 855-616-1620. And that does not in any way, shape, or form say that I don't think the shooter is responsible as well. But Dad facilitated this by putting a number of firearms in the hands of somebody who obviously should not have had them. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. One of our texters says, well, Jeff, red flag laws could have prevented this tragedy. No, that's, I guess that's the, the point. I'm not anti-red flag laws, but they have a red flag law in, in Illinois. What happened was in September of 2019, when the police get a report that he's threatening, this is the Illinois shooter, is threatening to kill everybody in his family, they, they go out there and they, they make contact but the mom isn't cooperating. The kid, is, the kid. I'm sorry, the shooter isn't cooperating. Um, they they kind of say, well, he was just a little bit depressed. Um, he denies that he felt like harming himself or others. Police remove the, the knives, and there's nothing. There's no follow up. Mom doesn't pursue this. Dad doesn't pursue it. And I understand mom and dad were living separately, but uh, okay. I mean, you look at the you look at what the kid is the person is the shooter is putting on the internet. You look at the videos. You look at the conversations. You know that this is a deeply troubled individual. And yet, then four months later, you go out and you sign a sponsorship card allowing him to get a whole bunch of guns. They had red flag laws, but because in this case the parents did not cooperate with authorities, none of those gave authorities a Enough of a basis to try to deny him the gun. 855-616-1620. Let's start with John on the north side. John, good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, okay, that, that dad ought to go to jail, for one thing. And that boy needs to be, I mean, that boy needs to be put in an elected chair right away. You don't need to wait. You need to, you need to get rid of him out of society. You know, and, 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 and when you talk about the capital law thing, I mean, you know, the, uh, with capital punishment, I just don't think that it'll never be fair. Just, if we can get a fairness out of that. Because a lot of yeah. times things happen and 10 years later they find out the guy didn't do it. Yeah, John, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. And I don't want to, I, I threw that as an aside. I, I don't want to get into a dis- lengthy discussion of, of the death penalty and, um, and the different circumstances. Maybe we'll save that for another day. But I, but I do agree with you in a situation like this. You've got. Look, you've got all the red flag laws in the in the world that, that should have applied here, and yet you have mom and dad who are apparently, well, well we don't want our, our, our little junior with all the tattoos on his face and the drawings of guns and the videos showing, like, you know, dead people, presumably. We don't want to restrict his rights to go have guns. Who in their right mind would allow this this person at 19 or 20 or 21 or 22 to, to have firearms? It, this was completely and totally... Totally predictable. Nancy in Muskego. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, my my downplay on this is the fact of where is responsibility ever going to lie? There are obviously people who are having children who should not have had children and don't take care of them and, and, and ask them how they are and how things are going and suspect that they might be in some kind of trouble. And then to see Roe v. Wade being overturned and now women are going to be forced to have children that don't want to have them, how is this ever going to end? Well, Nancy, thanks. For, again, I just like with John, I, I didn't want to turn this into a discussion of the death penalty, and I, I don't want to turn this into a discussion of, of Roe versus Wade because, 
as I've said repeatedly, I, I think that's all going to be worked out uh, as, as time goes on. But I, but I do agree with the first sentiment. Here, you, you have to have some responsibility on, on parents. And for the life of me, I do not understand why the dad in this case under these circumstances, and, and, and dad, the lawyer for the dad, dad's already lawyered up, and the, the lawyer for the dad is saying, well, you know, he didn't know the full details about the cops being called out to the mom's house and the threats uh, to, to kill everybody in the family and the knives. He didn't understand all this. To which my response is, give me a break. I mean, you, you just you could clearly tell from what is coming out now and the history of this that this young man was extremely, extremely troubled. And why any parent would think it would be a good idea to vouch for him to allow him to buy a series of, of firearms. And I understand that. I mean, and the cops, I'm sure they're extremely frustrated here because... Again, there's only so much they can do. There's limits to these different red flag laws because it starts, in this case, it starts at home with the parents, you know, cooperating. Now, when the parents make this decision that, okay, we're just going to sign off on this and we're going to let him get guns, why? Why in the world would you end up doing that? Now, maybe it wouldn't have changed anything because once he was 21, he was able, he would have been able to buy guns on, on his own. And he did, in fact, buy one firearm, you know, after he turned 21. But why, why would you do this if you are the parents? And, and yeah, I think from a criminal perspective, and this is a little bit different than that, that Michigan case where you had the, the Michigan school shooter where you, you had the parents who, might have had sort of really active knowledge of what he intended to do. But at the same time, I think if if we're going to try to get a handle on this, you have to start cracking down on the people who should be saying something and who make the decision not to do that. I don't know if there's any laws that really directly apply on the application form. Apparently, the dad said he was willing to be held liable. That's what you have to do. So that clearly exposes him to civil stuff. Whether it's criminal stuff, I I don't know. But I think this is is one of the big loopholes with these red flag laws, where if you have people who know and should be cooperating, and instead they tend to minimize this, and so the authorities can't do their job, it's it's a huge problem. Nancy in Burlington. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Nancy. I absolutely think Dad should be prosecuted, just like they prosecuted the parents of the school shooting. I can't remember what state that was in. Michigan. In um, Michigan, yeah. Both the parent, yeah, both the parents are sitting in jail. Number two, the kid wasn't working. Kid wasn't going to school. Kid was on the social media all the time. Go pay for the guns. Yeah, you got to understand. The kid was a kid. The kid was a yeah, but the, I, I hate to call him a kid. He's he's you know he's he's twenty one. He's going to be twenty two pretty soon. Right. Um, right. Well, right. But but sixty something. So they're kids. You know. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I guess. But but at the same time, no, he, he apparently he was making money. He he was a a, a somewhat of a rap star. I mean, he he had the, oh, these rap videos oh, and thousands of people down. I. I but believe me, I, Nancy, I, I understand. I, before they took him down from from, t- from the videos, I, I was able to watch a couple. I'm not sure they're still up there anymore. Now, why people were listening to or watching this, I don't know. But I, I, I think he, I think he might have made a decent living, you know, doing the, this rap stuff. And that's doing that nothing. in and of itself. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> no, thank, thanks for the call. That that's a whole another story about you know what why we we do that. But I guess. 
I, I, I'm as frustrated as anybody is with this. And I, I understand we go round and round on, on gun control sort of issues and things like that. And I, I know it always comes back to some people saying, well, we should ban certain types of firearms. And um, I, I, what, 20 million of these high-powered rifles that are, are out in the, in the country? And my, my question is, explain to me how you're going to get those, those out of people's hands and then you know, how far do we go? But, again, I don't want this to be a gun control measure. I, I think this goes back to the whole see something, say something thing. And for parents out there who think they are being their kids' friends, who are, think they are helping the, the kids out, who think they're being, oh, just, just nice guys, or who want to stick their head under the covers and pretend that there's nothing going on when your psychopathic son, and I say that because it's very clear that this kid was, in fact, a psychopath, and if you didn't notice that, well, you, you just you clearly weren't paying attention, and not only do you not do anything, but you overtly then help him get guns, for God's sake. That is, of course, Cheap Trick. They are opening for Rod Stewart tonight at the amphitheater. As I said, I'm going to that show looking forward to seeing it. I saw Rod Stewart in Vegas about three years ago, and he he was struggling. He, he was not in good voice, and he said it was, just, it was kind of the desert air and stuff. So I'm going to be curious as to what the show is tonight. Rod Stewart has just an amazing songbook, you know, going back to the 60s. And you go, boy, I forgot that that was a Rod Stewart song. And even if his voice isn't that great, it's worth it to me to, to see the show, just to see him perform Maggie Mae. But I'm going to be kind of curious, because like I said, I was a little bit disappointed three years ago looking forward to the show tonight. Hey, Mike, you, you, out, you still there? I am. You I'm me? here. Okay, you know that, that old Geico commercial where you've got the couple that are talking about how they love their house, but they have ants, but it's like A-U-N-T-S, you yes. know, and it's all the different ants that are coming? Okay, well, just, just to kind of peel back the, the curtain here, you know, we're at our, our mobile broadcast facility at Summerfest, and, and we have ants, but not the A-U-N-T-S. <laughs> we got ants all over down the here. creepy crawly ones. The creepy crawly ones, and yeah, the it's and I, I feel real bad because our great engineer John Tyler, he's like, well, I, I've got this ant stuff, but I'm I'm hesitant to come out and nuke them when you're on the air, which I appreciate as well. So I'm I'm killing ants, um, right and left down here. So yeah, the show sounds as good as it color. always does, though, Jeff. You can't even tell. It, it, it does, as I'm watching ants crawl across my laptop computers here. So it's, if, if you hear like a loud swat going on, it's because we have ants down here, but not the kind you're related to. We got ants here at Summerfest. When we come back, three years probation. Welcome back. Jeff Wagner broadcasting live from Summerfest. That is, of course, John Fogarty. The driving force behind Creedence, Creedence Clearwater Revival back in the 60s and early 70s. He is performing this evening at the BMO Harris Pavilion. So, again, a lot of great a lot of great stuff for the final weekend of Summerfest. And today's show, well, if you are, if you're a boomer, you know, John, John Fogarty and Rod Stewart and Cheap Trick, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. All right. I, you know, Mike Spaulding made reference to this story uh, during his newscast. I, I want to get your feeling from it because, you know, one of the things that we say is that, you know, we want people to be held accountable for their behavior. And oftentimes it doesn't happen. How many times have you seen the stories where you have people who are involved in, in some of the rioting and things like that, and they don't get charged, or if they get charged, what happens is the cases end up getting dismissed, and there's no accountability. Well, if you will remember, 
in the summer of 2020, it was actually June 23rd, there was a riot in downtown Madison. And you remember that you had large groups of people who ended up vandalizing several of of the statues that that were there. For example, um, you had people that that tore down the forward statue at the top of State Street. And then there were people who also tore down the statue of what they called the the Hague statue as well. Um, because I, I guess they thought that they were rebelling against, oh, this is a statue of an old white guy. And, of course, the, the Hague, he was an abolitionist, for goodness sake, but the mob didn't care about that. So they caught a handful of the people that, that were involved in destroying the statue. The problem is they couldn't catch everybody because there were just so many people that were doing that, and it was unclear, and nobody wanted to cooperate. Well, that brings me to the story of Jacob Caps, who um, was, in fact, caught destroying the statues. And he was easily identifiable because he's got all sorts of tattoos. I mean, he was he's very, very recognizable. So they had clear evidence that he was one of the people who uh, was, helped tear down the forward statue. He was also one of the people that helped tear down the, the Hague statue a- as well. So he ended up getting charged with felony criminal damage to property for his role in destroying these two statues. All right, so, um, and, and in one case, you know, he was the one um, who was, they, they caught him um, trying to attach a chain to pull down the Hague statue and you know, drive it away. So they caught him. He pled guilty to one count of felony criminal damage to property for the forward statue, and then they read in, meaning um, the judge gets to take it into consideration when, in this case, it was a she, she imposed a sentence. So what happens? Does he go to jail for two years? Does he go to jail for four years? Does he go to jail for six months? The answer is no, no, and no. His sentence was for destroying these two statues as part of a mob engaging in a riot. He was placed on probation for three years and ordered to pay $5,000 in restitution. On top of that, he can apply to end his probation after 18 months if he has paid the $5,000. So... I would describe this as a slap on the wrist, but I think that would be an insult to slaps on the wrist. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The attorney for this guy says, well, he hasn't faced any other criminal charges since 2014, meaning it... (laughs) Meaning when he engaged in the the riot and all this destruction in 2020, it had been six years since he had last been involved with the law. He was working full time and she thought he could comply with the terms of his probation. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess things like this frustrate me because when you catch people who are engaged in this type of behavior, you need to have some sort of deterrent. And by saying, okay, you you essentially walk away, all you have to do is pay for some of the damage that you caused, what deterrent have we given to the next group of rioters who decide that they're going to run amok in Madison? 855-616-1620. I think that this was an insult 
uh, actually to the overall community. I think there needed to be jail time. Ten years in prison, no. Five years in prison, no. But a year, two years, as a way of deterring people from engaging this be- in this behavior in the future, you bet. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. We are, of course, broadcasting live from Summerfest. This is Boys to Men. They're performing this evening at the Uline Warehouse here. It is the final weekend of Summerfest. Plenty of room. Come on down. Great weather as well. We're talking about this decision out in Madison. They catch one of the guys who was responsible for destroying these various statues during a riot a couple of years ago. Well, they caught him. They entered into a plea deal with him. The judge said, well, I'm going to put you on probation for three years, but I'll let that probation go after 18 months if you pay back $5,000 in restitution. Now, a number of you are asking the question, gee, we're just kind of curious, Jeff, What? how much did it cost? How much damage did they do to these two various statues as part of the riot? And the answer is north of $80,000. Uh, now, the state got a grant from a private foundation to help restore that they contributed like $60,000 to it but but no they they did $80,000 plus damage to the, these two statues and the restitution amount is is 5,000 bucks 855-616-1620 which is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line Jeff 3 years probation is a joke considering um, that if this happened it would have been 3 years if being radical entitlement to commit crime and have such leniency for no charges. Well, yeah, that's that's it. Jeff, could this be a liberal judge with a sentence? Just wondering. Well, it's, it's in Dane County, so of course, you know, that's what you're going to get with this. Jeff, where have you been? This is a liberal cause which requires no punishment. Wander around the Capitol for a couple hours, though, on January 6th and get years of hard time. Well, I... Look, again, I I don't want anything I say to condone, you know, what ended up happening in in Washington, D.C., other than to say that there was all sorts of different levels of what was going on during the riot, and I think that's what it was at the Capitol in January. You had some people that were actually in there destroying stuff, and you had other people who were what I will describe as chaos tourists, the people who got caught up with the mob in properly and illegally wandered into the Capitol and were wandering around taking selfies of themselves. And that's why it's important, I think, when you look at behavior to always make a distinction. Okay, what is it that somebody did? Is this somebody that was actually attacking Capitol Police officers and breaking down the barricades and threatening people's lives versus, okay, was this somebody who happened to be there and wanders around and is taking the selfies? I I think you have to make that distinction in determining what the appropriate penalty is. In this particular case, you don't have a guy who's a chaos tourist. You have a guy who is an active participant he's the one he destroys or he's part of the mob destroying the forward statue and then not happy with that he comes back 20 minutes later and he tries to destroy that the Haig statute as well jeff this is why nobody is afraid to commit crimes there are no consequences yeah um yeah there there are jeff i'm a liberal guy but can you please express what a great american wisconsinite and abolitionist colonel Haig was and what a can't say that word on the radio this guy is it's an insult to um 
that Colonel Haig, um, who died in battle. Um, right. There, there's no question about that. And again, this is what the frustrating thing about all this is. Jeff, it's the same. Most criminals aren't held accountable for their actions. If they are, they get out of jail early and they don't have to pay anything back. I, right. I applaud the authorities for going after this man in the first place. But seriously, I mean, to give a sentence like this, is this going to deter one protester from destroying one piece of property in Madison the next time the mob gets out of control? And the answer is, of course it's not. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Russell Dickerson, who's going to be performing this evening at the U.S. Cellular Stage um, down here at Summerfest, but also... I, I don't have a clip of this, but if you're down here this evening, I want you to go to check out a band. It's called Weird Science, and they're going to be performing at the Guitar for Vets stage, which is right by the, the Water Street Brewery. Matter of fact, I'm positive I'm going to stop by after the, the Rod Stewart show because our, our tremendous engineer, my longtime friend John Tyler, he plays in a band, and their band is at Summerfest this year. They're called Weird Science at the Guitar for Vets stage, so be sure to check them out. They're performing at 9 o'clock tonight this is i'm telling you there's all sorts of great stuff going on so check out weird science this evening nine o'clock if you are down here at the lakefront i you know it's it's always interesting there's things you can do to try to to measure politics and and some people look at polls and and polls i I think are always they they have the risk of being misleading because if a pollster calls you up and says hey what what what's your preference you know who do you want to vote for and how do you think things are going to happen well you don't have any skin in the game you give your opinion and, and and that's all well and good i always think one of the indicators about you know where people in the know perceive politics is the people who actually like invest their money and, and make decisions and there's a real interesting story about that I, I understand joe biden is trying his best to take no responsibility at all for what's going on with gas prices and and it, it just blaming it all on, on the war in the ukraine it's all putin's problem putin's problem and it's overall inflation well that's that's true, but only to a limited extent. The big problem is that Joe Biden has, during the campaign and since he's been in office, he declared war on fossil fuels. I mean, there, there's clips from his debates back when he was running for the Democrat nomination. And then later on, when he was debating against Donald Trump, he was very clear. No drilling, no expansion. Joe Biden wants to force America away from the internal combustion engine. The problem, and, and he's doing that because you know he's in bed with, you know, figuratively speaking, the, the the hardcore environmental lobby who thinks, okay, you know, atomic energy bad, natural gas bad, you know, um, oil bad, all, all coal bad, all these things that are bad, and, and want to to stop that. And the idea behind this is, all right, let's let's make stuff so expensive that people stop driving. Well, unfortunately, people aren't willing to stop driving. And what you're seeing is when gas prices, I, I mean, I filled up this morning, it's down to 468. It's I was glad to find it for 468. What does that end up telling you? But this is a natural response to the Biden administration declaring war on the fossil fuel industry. If you are, if, if 
you're an oil producer, for example, how can you be expected to drill new wells and make you know hundreds of millions of dollars in investments when you've got the president of the United States telling you, I'm trying to put your, you out of business? So a couple of weeks ago, when the president of the United States said, well, I'm calling these oil company executives in, and I'm telling them they want to produce more. And by the way, I'm also telling them I want to put them out of business in the next five to ten years. <laughs> what, what, yeah, yeah good, that's great, Mr. President. Yeah, we're going to help you out now when we understand that you are at war with us. Well, interesting development today. Shell, which is, of course, a um, major you know, international company. Shell is apparently, in my opinion, they're voting with their money. And they've kind of decided, I think, that Biden's war on the internal combustion engine is not going to succeed. And I think they're probably figuring that Biden's not going to be in office after 2024. Um, because what they've announced today is that they are... They're making a commitment to invest, be as in billions of dollars in investment in waters outside in the Gulf of Mexico to drill for oil. And apparently, you know, they've got plans that are going to, they, they've built this, this huge new offshore project in the region. They call it Vito. And the plan is, in the relatively near future, they plan to start drilling, you know, big time um, for some of these deep water wells. Now, they need to do it because they're going to have to replace some of the wells that are going to end up getting tapped out and things like this. But it's a huge commitment of resources, and they're doing it at a time where you have the President of the United States who's campaigning who campaigned on a pledge to block new oil drilling on federal territory. Shell has apparently decided that um, Biden's not going to be able to effectively execute that, and so they're going to go ahead and, and do this. And the interesting thing about this is if they increase production, they're really helping to bail Biden out because this 5 and $6 a gallon gas really does end up you know, at his doorstep. And I understand he wants to kind of deny this, but it really a lot of this does end up at his doorstep. And so Shell coming out and saying we're going to invest all this money and we're going to do this clearly kind of indicates that they think that the, the Biden let's declare war on the energy industry, that that's not going to end up going anywhere. Interestingly, at the same time, in Europe, and now in Europe, they've been under incredible pressure again to, to go green. And the idea is we want to get away from, again, that the, we want to get away from coal and we want to get away from natural gas and we want to get away from oil and things like that. But we don't want to have atomic energy because that can be bad too. Well, interestingly now, what's happened again in the last couple of days, last, well, late last week, the Euro, at a European Parliament meeting in Strasbourg, France, the European Union voted in favor of accepting a proposal by the European Commission which would declare gas, natural gas, and nuclear energy as being green. In other words, the argument is, well, it's we need to have this. So by making that de- declaration that gas and nuclear energy are, are green, they can qualify for subsidies and things like that. This is, of course, being done because I think the real world is starting to take over. And you've got some of these pie-in-the-sky environmentalists who, again, we, we want to 
you know, we want to have, you know, solar power and we want to have wind power, which is all well and good, but it's not going to heat your home in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, when it's five degrees below zero at the end of January. The solar power and wind power can't generate enough energy to come close to providing those needs. And, and yes, maybe at some point in time we're going to all go electric with cars, but that's not for, that's not for decades. That's just the reality. So now I think faced with the realities of where we're going, more and more countries around the world are saying, maybe this rush to being environmentally friendly, it's really not working out that well. And you know what? Maybe gasoline prices that end up costing 5 and $6 a gallon, if it's avoidable, maybe we should avoid it. The world's largest music festival is happening now. We're live on the Summerfest grounds of the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. Now broadcasting from the fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin WTMJ Mobile Studio. Here's your host, Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Milwaukee's lakefront is rocking. As the big voice guy says, WTMJ is broadcasting live from the Pella Windows and Doors mobile studio at Summerfest. Come by and see all your favorite personalities. We will have broadcasts today, tomorrow, and Saturday, which is, of course, the last three days of Summerfest, reconfigured this year. And I think a lot of people are going to view it as a huge success. All right. Since we last had an opportunity to speak in detail from the world of politics, um, Kevin Nicholson, who was running for governor, Kevin Nicholson announced that he was dropping out of the race for the Republican nomination for governor. Let me say this, and actually I sent out a tweet about this, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I... Um, I, I like Kevin Nicholson a lot. He's He's got a great story. He's a businessman. He's a combat veteran. Great family guy. He's just outstanding. And, and I think... I think he has a bright political future ahead of him. At the same time, I've said this all along, I don't think this was the right race for him. Nicholson, I, I think, made a mistake by sort of hesitated. He, he, he was the guy that said, well, I'm waiting to see what Ron Johnson does. And if Ron Johnson decides he's not going to run for re-election, then I'm going to run for the Republican nomination for Senate. And if Johnson does, then I'm going to run for governor. And I, I thought that sent the, the wrong kind of message. I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of like, well, okay, I, I want this, but if I can't get this, this is going to be my second choice. I, I thought this just was not the right race. I hope Kevin Nicholson continues to be involved in politics. And, and candidly, if if he were to say, think about running for the U.S. Senate in 2024 against Tammy Baldwin, I think he would immediately be one of the leading candidates. And I, and I encourage him to do that. But he's now dropped out of the governor's race, which for all intents and purposes – leaves two serious candidates. Nicholson, he wasn't getting traction. Um, he, he was polling around 10%, and once Tim Michaels got in the race, and Michaels is going to spend an unlimited amount of money trying to get the nomination, and Rebecca Clayfish, the former lieutenant governor, you know, she's been running for, for quite a while. Um, th- those were the, the two big candidates. Nicholson was positioning himself to be the alternative to Rebecca Clayfish, and he really wasn't getting much traction. And then once Michaels got in, the, the campaign was, I think, pretty much doomed, which again, I don't mean to downplay Nicholson as a candidate in the future. So essentially for the Republican nomination, you've got Rebecca Clayfish and you've got Tim Michaels. There is a third candidate, an assembly person from the Fond du Lac area, Timothy Rantham. He's polling at 3%. He's 
not a serious candidate, in my opinion. Might be a serious politician, but he's not a serious candidate, and that's going nowhere. So the race is really, in my opinion, between Clefish and Clefish and Michaels. And Michaels is trying to build up his name recognition, and he's spending just a ton of money. Rebecca Clayfish is working real hard, and she has been working real hard. She's going to be outspent, but nevertheless, she's got a lot of money here. So here's what's going on now. Now that the race is really consolidating, it is, in fact, becoming a, a race. And the primary is August 9th. With about five weeks to go, given that there's now two real candidates, um, well, the, the story in the Madison paper is gloves come off in the GOP gubernatorial primary. And it talks about how former Governor Lieutenant Clay, former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish attacked rival Tim Michaels by name for the first time in a television ad running statewide where she bemoans high gas prices as she fills up her minivan. Um, the ad apparently, you know, talks about, you know, Joe Biden and Tony Evers uh, rips them over gas prices and then talks about how Michaels for years pushed for pushed to raise our gas tax while getting rich from massive government contracts. Tim Michaels is out for himself. Now, what she's referring to is the fact that Michaels is part of the Michaels Construction Company, and one of the things that they do is they, over the years, they're, they're into road building, just like they're into infrastructure and all sorts of other stuff. And, you know, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, there were these organizations that um, – the Michaels company was associated with that advocated for raising the gas tax. Now, you can argue whether or not that is a fair criticism, a valid criticism or not. But the argument is, oh, Rebecca Clayfish shouldn't attack Michaels. They shouldn't, we shouldn't go negative. And that somehow, I guess we should call, if you're a Republican, you, you shouldn't go after, you shouldn't try to differentiate yourself from, from the other candidate. And you could concentrate all the attacks on, on either Joe Biden or, um, t- or on uh, Tony Evers or whatever. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe I'm an outlier here, but I, I don't have any problem at all with a spirited primary that, I don't know, raises issues about candidates, whether it's Clayfish or whether it's Michaels, that you know are going to be raised, you know, in the general election. I mean, I'll tell you one of the other ones. I mean, Tim Michaels, for example, you've probably seen the photos. For several years, while he had a house here in Wisconsin, had a big compound in Connecticut worth millions and millions of dollars. And he, he you know, his story is, well, I, you know, I was on this assignment. We were doing these projects. But, you know, his kids went to high school in the New York area. He, he's lived out there for a few years. And you know, for example, if he becomes the Republican candidate, you know that that is going to be an issue that's going to be raised. Now, I'm not saying it's got traction, um, you know, and he's got to respond to it, but whoever comes out of this primary needs to be vetted because if you think that the Democrats aren't going to raise these issues, I, I think you're, you're making a huge mistake. So our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I've taken no position in the Republican primary. I will take no position in the Republican primary. I think you know both of the main candidates are, are very good candidates, and I don't believe I'd have any trouble supporting either one if they get the nomination. But this idea that, oh, well, somehow Rebecca Clayfish shouldn't be, you know, attacking Tim Michaels on certain issues. I, I don't buy it. I want to see candidates vetted. And if you don't think 
if if Michaels has got issues to raise with Rebecca Clayfish or vice versa, if you don't think that the Democrats are going to raise them, again, you're 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 smoking something. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Is there anything wrong with I don't know running some attack ads against your primary opponent and candidly i mean i don't think there's too much to differentiate these two candidates from each other ideologically but i don't know if rebecca clayfish wants to push tim michaels on did you support the gas tax that's fine if she wants to push him on you know where did you actually live for a few years to me that's fine because voters need to hear that then they can decide whether they care or not because if she doesn't do it you know evers is going to do it in september and october and november 855-616-1620 we discuss in a moment that's Michael Frantini performing this evening at Summerfest at the Briggs and Stratton Big Backyard. It's kind of boomer night here, and as a boomer, that works for me. Hey, b- before, um, just some breaking news here. Um, James Kahn, who is probably best known he as for his role as Sonny Corleone in The, the Godfather, um, passed away uh, at the age of 82. His family just announced that uh, James Caan, he was in a lot of misery, was one of the, the big movies he was probably in. I mean, he had a long career as a working actor. Elf, you know, he performed in Elf as well. But I think uh, his his career was forever defined as as for his role as Sonny in The Godfather. And family announced that he passed away on uh, July 6th. Um, no other details are out there, but uh, at the age of 82. So don't know anything more about it other than he's passed away. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I understand Ronald Reagan... And I think Ronald Reagan was the greatest president in my lifetime. Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment was, Thou shalt say no ill against other Republicans. At the same time, here in Wisconsin, you have a very spirited primary race between two, I think, very, very well-qualified candidates. And candidly, I don't think that there's a lot policy-wise that differentiates themselves from each other. But I think what ends up happening is so now, you know, Rebecca Clayfish, she, she's starting to run a couple ads that goes after Tim Michaels. Charlie, you got to turn down the music, if you would, please. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Mike in um, Kiwaska. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, good yes, sir. Uh, Thank you. I love that. I love that they go after each other in a spirited way, not in a mean way, but that's politics. And the frustrating point for me is, and I actually said this to Miss Clayfish at a gun show, put out your mission statement. Tell me what you're at least going to attempt to try to do. Because neither one of them, I don't know what they're going to try to do, and that's what I'm interested in, and the average person doesn't have uh, communication with them. So I should, they can point out each other's flaws or what they think is wrong i think that's good for spirit of debate but people have to be knowledgeable about the candidates so they can't you know michaels can't keep telling me he's a businessman i want to know are you going to cut state income tax are you going to cut the minimum markup what are you right. going to do that's what i want to know no th- thanks to call mike and I, and I appreciate that and again this i i'm I, I'm really clear. I'm, I'm very neutral in this race, and I'll, I'll, at some point in time, I'll invite both of the candidates, you know, on. But but the bottom line of all this is, like I say, policy-wise, there's not a lot to distinguish between the two of them. I think a lot of Republicans are going to be looking at this and trying to make their decision based on 
who they think is the most electable, who's in the best position to beat Tony Evers. But I, I will tell you, these issues are, in fact, going to come up. And again, I, you, you might say to me, Jeff, well, I don't think it's a big deal that, you know, Tim Michaels, you know, had a, has this, you know, $10 million residence in Connecticut or whatever. And it might not be a big deal. But you know that that is going to be a 30 or 60 second attack ad that is going to be run the day after he gets the Republican nomination. So l- let's let's vet that. Let's get that out here. Let's have him publicly. And he, I know he said things about it, but let's challenge him with that. Th- this whole thing with the, the gas tax increase, I don't know if that's a valid argument or not, but I, let's get it out there. Let's vet it so it's not an October surprise. That's kind of the bottom line of all this, I think. Roger in Waukesha. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my sure. point is this. I think that Rebecca Clayfish has opened up a huge opportunity for Tim Michaels because Michaels will respond to this. I've talked to him several times. I kind of know him a little bit personally. He will respond to this. And what he's going to say is, I acknowledge that there's some negative campaigning going on, and I could do the same thing, but I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. Huge. Takes it off. Takes it back to issues and other things not about negative campaigning. So that is my point. Yeah, thanks for the call, Roger. And that could very well be the case. Um, you know, there, there's a, a very high-profile story, and if you've been around Wisconsin politics long enough, you will remember it. Russ Feingold, when Russ Feingold was running for the Democratic nomination for Senate back in, I think it was back in the, the 80s, the, the first time, he was really the, the number three candidate. There were two other leading candidates who got involved in, in just a, a real you-know-whatting match against each other, slinging mud back and forth. And Feingold, who was perceived as the third candidate, he kind of stayed on, on the sidelines, above the fray, if you will. And he actually ran some ads. I can remember one where he said mud flying back and forth between the two other candidates. And you know, Feingold, you know, who who actually, the, the interesting thing is, Russ Feingold, was a, the, despite his reputation as this really sort of nice guy, he was a, he was a bare-knuckle fighter himself. But he, he stayed out of that. Um, and as a result, he's the one that kind of sneaked in. People got tired of the other two candidates who were slinging the mud at each other, and, and so he ended up winning. You may very well be right, Roger, that this is a you know that, that this is the way that Michaels should approach this. Um, I, again, and I got some people saying, "Oh, Rebecca Clayfish is desperate." I I don't know that that's the case. I mean, the polls show them to be, I, I think, very very close. I'm just saying I don't have a problem with raising issues that might affect somebody's ultimate electability and, and challenging people. And if if that's the you know how Tim Michaels decides that's how he's going to handle it, that that's fine. I mean, I have no perspective on that one way or the other. But I, I think if, if you're going to have a primary debate and you're going to decide who is the most electable, you've got to have these candidates be battle-tested. And if that means raising the issues that Tony Evers or you know outside interest groups are going to raise in the fall, I, I say get it out of the way now so there is no surprise. So I guess that's kind of how I, I look at this. Uh, it's five weeks to go. I, I think that I, I really don't see any sort of no-holds-barred mudslinging, but I, I do think it's, it's fair to, again, question candidates on their records, and especially when you have candidates who have not been actively involved in politics 
before. And one of the big variables to me, and it continues to be a huge variable in Wisconsin, is the the nomination and the endorsement that Michaels has of Donald Trump. How is that going to cut? Is it going to cut for Michaels in a Republican primary and then hurt him in the general election? Is it going to cut against him in the Republican primary because people are maybe concerned that anything that Donald Trump touches is toxic? All those are different factors that are out there. And because, you know, if Michaels is the nominee, you know that the Trump endorsement is going to be one of the things that's going to be used against him in a general election. So those are all factors that are out there. It makes for a really, really interesting dynamic. But I don't fault one or two of the candidates. I don't fault the candidates for challenging the positions of their opponents so the voters can decide which way they want to go. This is Milky Chance performing at the Miller Light Oasis tonight at Summerfest. A um, little bit of fog rolling in right now. It's kind of an interesting day out here. Former Marquette Golden Eagle, Green Bay Phoenix, Wisconsin Badger, and Milwaukee Panther, Panther basketball stars reunite to raise money for charity and to prove who is still number one on the court. Head to the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone at Summerfest this Friday. That would be tomorrow at 2.30, where alumni from each university will compete in a series of shooting competitions all to support four great charitable organizations, the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Milwaukee, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Green Bay, Guarding Against Cancer, and the MAC Fund. We're broadcasting from Summerfest, and this is the Happy Fits performing at the Johnson Controls World Stage this evening. Hey, if you're coming down to Summerfest, I do have one request. And it's a real simple one. Don't be a jackwagon. I mean, seriously, come on down, enjoy yourself, but you, there's no need to be a jackwagon. Here, here's the story that, um, that Fox 6 was reporting. All right, a, a man sliding down a handrail after the Halsey concert at Summerfest lost his balance and fell onto a, a woman. Apparently what's happening is, okay, they say a woman is recovering after she was injured at Summerfest, sent to the hospital after she was knocked to the ground by another person who attended the Halsey concert Saturday, July 2nd at the amphitheater. According to the cops, the man was sliding down a handrail, lost his balance, and hit the woman. There was just like blood everywhere, says one of the the women. Um, the, and there's actually there's there's a picture of her, and she's got she's got bruises all over and black eyes. Um, the woman's name was Jenna Albrecht. She was concussed and bruised after a hard fall. Um, I turn and see my mom go falling like two full somersaults down somersaults down the stairs. Says her her daughter. The two went to the Halsey concert to celebrate the daughter's 26th birthday. Um, you know, the, the mom says it was a sign. Like I said, I'm going down timber. Um, the man, um, tried to slide down the handrail. She says, we were walking down the stairs and all of a sudden I felt somebody fall on the back of my head and neck. I couldn't stop myself. I hit the ground. She spent the night in the hospital returning home to continue the healing. Uh, police say it appears to have been an accident. She thinks he should be held accountable. Even if you're drunk, you can't claim that it doesn't matter because I was drunk. Like, no, it does matter. Um, he's fine, and I'm here like this. My husband had to take work off yesterday. There's going to be so many repercussions from all this, and I wasn't the only one that was drinking. He was. That makes me. I wasn't the one who was drinking. He was. That makes me mad. Um, again, this is always, 
it's one of the problems that you get in, in large groups, that there's always going to be that jack wagon that's out there. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's a criminal matter or not, but it, it's certainly, you know, clearly the, the guy that did this has exposed himself to civil liability, but it doesn't change the fact that this woman could have been killed, all because some drunken boob decides that they're going to slide down the railing at the amphitheater. And there's only so much security can do. I mean, you know, you've got you know, thousands and thousands of people, and some jack wagon decides that they're going to behave in this fashion. So if you're coming down here, right, the, the fact that I was drunk isn't an excuse at all to bad behavior. And let's all just come and enjoy ourselves and have some fun. Okay. The lead into this was, do not pee down my back and tell me it is raining. I that I, I don't know that Lyndon Johnson attri- first came up with that statement, but it's certainly something that was always attributed to him. By way of background, let me back into this topic. I believe that there were a couple reasons why Tony Evers beat Scott Walker in 2018. First, I think a lot of people were particularly in Madison and to a lesser extent Milwaukee, were very, very unhappy with Donald Trump. Now, I understand that Trump wasn't on the ballot in 2018, but I think people, again, particularly in Madison, and you look at the turnout in 2018, it was astronomical in Madison, they they wanted to express their displeasure with Trump, and they turned out in enormous numbers for the purpose of voting against anybody that had an R after their name. And that worked to the detriment of, of Scott Walker. I think a lot of people who might not have necessarily come out otherwise, they, they came out. Secondly, in a number of communities, particularly liberal-leaning communities, the strategy was let's put non-binding referendums on the ballot asking people whether they support legalizing pot. And, and that, that was the threat. They did it in Milwaukee. They did it in Dane County. They did it in a number of other communities. And the thinking was this will turn out voters to vote in favor of the let's legalize pot um, re- uh, resolutions. And, again, it was a non-binding referendum. But the argument was we want to get a feeling for what people want to do, how they feel on this issue. But, I mean, the real reason that they did this is they figured, again, we're going to be able to turn out more liberal voters who are more likely to vote for Tony Evers and Scott Walker, so we'll put the pot referendum on. And it and it worked. Uh, you know, Evers won a very close election, and I think it was the anti-Trump sentiment and it was the pot thing that, that carried him over Scott Walker. So if it worked once, why not try it again? So here's the story. There are a number of Milwaukee County supervisors who want to put an advisory referendum on the November election ballot asking essentially the same question that they asked four years ago. The referendum, which is non-binding, would ask, do you favor allowing adults 21 years of age or older to engage in the personal use of marijuana while also regulating commercial marijuana-related activities and imposing a tax on the sale of marijuana? This is identical, identical in language, to the referendum that was put on the governor's the ballot at the same time of the governor's race four years ago, and the results were 70% in the county were in favor of this. So what could be the possible justification for asking the same question four years later? Well, one of the supervisors, uber-liberal Ryan Clancy, says, well, it's important that Milwaukee County ask its voters the same question to better understand how people's views are changing on the issue of marijuana legalization. 
and to help put a stop to the waste of public resources towards enforcement, which unjustly affects people of color. Excuse me, if you want to talk about a waste of public resources, spending twenty-five or fifty or seventy-five thousand dollars or whatever this is going to cost to ask the same question again that you asked four years ago, knowing that you're going to get essentially the same result. That's the waste of public money. And let's just be honest. Instead of saying, well, we want to ask the same question four years later, why don't we, ju- we're, why don't we just recognize, why don't we just come out and say, we're, we're trying to juice turnout in Milwaukee County, and we want people who would otherwise maybe sit this out. We want to try to bring out the, the people who support marijuana legalization so they can vote for Tony Evers and whoever the Democratic nominee is. Our number for Senate is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a conversation in my mind about whether or not we should legalize marijuana. That's a topic for another day. My question is, is there any valid reason at all why we would spend taxpayer money in Milwaukee County that really is kind of hard up for taxpayer dollars to ask the same question again, identical question, in a non-binding referendum? And is it... If we all agree that this is nothing but a political stunt to try to juice turnout, my question is, is that appropriate? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Deep Sea Diver performing today at Summerfest at the Johnson Control Stage. Milwaukee's Lakefront is rocking. WTMJ is broadcasting live, and our staff can't do what they do on an empty stomach. Thanks to our friends at Major Goolsby's, we don't have to. Stop by, grab some food, and don't forget to come by and see us. Okay, if you're just tuning in, I, I swear I don't make this stuff up. One of, I think, the two big factors that helped get Tony Evers elected four years ago was was the fact that in a couple liberal communities, Milwaukee being one of them, they put a non-binding referendum asking people if you believe that marijuana should be legalized. That was done with the intent, I believe almost exclusively, to juice the, the vote. Let's get more liberal voters to turn out because they'll vote in favor of legalizing pot, and then they'll probably also be more likely to vote for Tony Evers. And you know what? It, it, it actually worked. So I guess if it works once, let's try it again. Milwaukee County is considering putting the same exact question on the ballot that corresponds with the election for governor to which I, you really at some point in time you, you say look if you're trying to juice the turnout can't can't you at least come up and be creative and do something different at some point in time is it appropriate to take taxpayer dollars and spend it on a purpose that really is nothing designed to do nothing more than try to increase turnout to benefit one political party 855-616-1620 Jeff I agree completely there's no reason for that question to be on a ballot other than to get more democratic voters that would never vote it has no place on a ballot from governor for governor um that that's exactly this um uh jeff how about the republicans in madison just flip the tables and legalize it and see what happens you'll have democrats voting republican no what you're going to have is you're going to have potheads staying home i think that's what's the more likely jeff i thought they would save this ploy for 2024 well they might do it again in 2024 you, you I mean you you never know it's kind of like hey it's an oldie but a goodie should we add texter says should we add a referendum on allowing illegal immigrants to vote how about banning all arms that are not in the hands of police Officers, what a joke! Well, that is 
that's sort of an interesting perspective as well, is, is turnabout fair play. If in certain conservative areas you ask non-binding questions about, like exactly that, you know, do you think illegal immigrants should be allowed to vote? Oh, okay, well, you, you know that that might turn out some voters who otherwise aren't going to be inclined to vote in a particular way. So, I mean, at what point in time do we do this? If, if you want to argue that there was a value a legitimate value to that referendum four years ago. Okay, let's see where the public is. You know, my advice would be make sure you tuck your shoulder before you fall off the truck so you don't hurt yourself. But, But okay, you've asked that question. There is, in good faith, no reason at all to take thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayer dollars to ask that question uh, again, because you know what the result is going to be. There's nothing that indicates that it's changed one way or the other. But more importantly, in Milwaukee County, they have nothing to do with legalizing marijuana statewide. So it, it serves no purpose at all other than to, again, help turn out voters that they think are more likely to vote for Democrats. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's kind of like the trolley folly, throwing good money after bad. Well, the, the trolley folly gets you, gets you nowhere, and it costs a lot of money. This is an effort to try to, again, juice the, the electorate, try to get more people to turn out to vote for a particular candidate. Don in Brookfield. Don, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, Hi. It's absolutely a political stunt. I, are you there? Yeah, go ahead. Jeff? Yeah, oh, we're, yeah. we're here. It's absolutely a political stunt. Um, I've seen stories where there are dozens of communities around the country planning to ask the exact same question. Well, right. Yeah, it, it, it's coming from it's coming from the playbook. And and I, I do. I mean, I understand it worked. It, I think you can argue that it worked four years ago in what was a very, very close election. They're looking, this is a close election again, so let, let's, let's bring it back and, and let's try this again because maybe we can juice the, we can juice the vote. And, I, you know, if people wonder about election integrity and wonder about, you know, the veracity of elections, it's stunts like this that are engaged in by, you know, political parties that, that I think really kind of question, you know, what's going on here with this election? Should you be able to manipulate an election and try to drive turnout in a fashion like this? Now, thanks for calling. And my, you know, my other question would be: if if you don't believe that, why choose the referendum question for this election? Why do it in November? I mean, you you could have, if this was the plan, you could have done it in the primary election, for example, that, that's going to be on August. You could have asked the question then. You could have asked the question for the nonpartisan uh, races that were going to be in April. If this was a serious effort at good faith of trying to say, well, we really want to find out where the electorate in Milwaukee is, in Milwaukee County is, and whether they, they've shifted, if, you, you could have done it at any time, but they're, they're choosing the November election to do this, clearly, I think, for the effort of trying to figure out, um, you know, what's going on. Jeff, maybe they just want to get it legalized. Well, I, I'm sure there's an element of wanting to get it legalized, but having a non-binding referendum in Milwaukee County does nothing towards getting marijuana, quote-unquote, legalized, period. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Oh, so good. 
This is Lilith Czar, who's performing at the Generac Power Stage this evening at Summerfest. Also want to mention once again, if you're down here, 9 o'clock tonight, check out a band, Weird Science, which is going to be performing by the Water Street Brewery at the Guitar for Vet Stage. Um, they feature our, our ace engineer, John Tyler. That's his band. They've been playing for years and years, and they're at Summerfest this year. So be sure to check that out. Milwaukee's Lakefront is rocking. WTMJ is broadcasting live from the Grouper Law Office's Sports Zone at Summerfest. Come by and see your favorite WTMJ personalities. Look, just, just a, fine, a couple final thoughts on this, this, this stunt of spending tens, and I don't know, I don't know if it's going to cost $20,000 or $40,000 or whatever, to put the same legalized marijuana referendum question on the ballot this year that they had four years ago. But I would have more respect for the Milwaukee County Supervisors, the Board of Supervisors, and it's, it's tough to have respect for that Clown Car Act, but I would have more respect for them if they would just come out and say what they're doing. We're asking a referendum question because it helped juice Democrat vote in 2018. We know it's going to be a close election again. We want to have Tony Evers reelected. We want to beat Ron Johnson. And so we are doing our part to try to do that by spending taxpayer dollars to ask the same question again. If they were just honest, you, you could... You, you could say it's sleazy. You could say it's a misuse of public money. You could say it's irresponsible. But at least they, they'd be honest about it instead of, well, we're asking the same identical question again in an advisory referendum because we want to see how opinions have changed. Well, you know the answer that's going to be. It's just, I mean, again, it's like, don't pee down my back and tell me it, it's raining. And a number of people are texting in, and I appreciate some of the sentiments. They're saying, well, you know, this, this isn't the only waste of taxpayer dollars that's going on. Some people say, well, what about the Gableman investigation? Hey, you're, you're preaching to the, the choir here. I mean, I'm the guy who's been saying for the last nine months that that thing should have, have ended. And we all know what happened in the election in 2020. We all know that there were some communities who had election officials that took a certain interpretation of the state laws. Was there fraud per se? No. And do we need to tighten up the state laws? Absolutely. But there's nothing more that's going to come from the Gableman Gableman investigation. And that's kind of become a sideshow. So I I agree completely. Um, Other people are saying, well, you know, what what about the waste of money, which is the trolley? Of course. I I mean, you're, you're talking about an epic waste of tens of millions of dollars and they're considering doing it again so i appreciate on the scale of waste of money adding an advisory referendum on pot in an effort to turn out democrat oriented voters to help tony evers i agree that as far as a waste of money goes that that's kind of down the list given the way that we have wasted money around here for the long time but that doesn't make it right And it's one of the things that contributes to people's distrust of elections when you have elected officials that are clearly trying to manipulate election results by doing things like this, putting advisory referendums that are identical to advisory referendums that he asked a couple years ago. Let's just be honest what is going on here and recognize by trying to do this, yeah, the, the public is smart enough to understand what you're trying to do. And if you wonder why people question integrity of elected officials and or question the integrity of elections, it's stuff like this that contributes to that. The world's largest music festival is happening now. We're live on the Summerfest grounds of the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. Now broadcasting from the fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin WTMJ Mobile Studio. Here's your host, Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. Let's get right to it. TikTok, which is, of course, a, a social media application. It's a platform, and people follow TikTok just like they follow Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And TikTok has had a, a number of the, these different challenges. Remember a couple of years ago, there was the ice bucket challenge where you had somebody that would dump a bucket of ice water over the top of their head and then say, I challenge X amount of people to do this, and they'd call them out, and then other people would do it, and then they'd film themselves doing it, and they'd challenge other people. And then then you had less harmless sort of challenges that were out there. You had the Tide Pod Challenge. Remember that? You'd have people who were, were eating Tide Pods, you know, the laundry detergent. They were eating that on, on TikTok, and it was like, what? this is the TikTok Challenge. Well... There's also, I guess, something called the blackout challenge. Now, it, it's a little more complicated because the, the blackout challenge on, on TikTok has been around, gee, since at least 1995 when they call it the, the choking game. And, and this, is, this is this idea where kids uh, choke themselves until they, they pass out. And now why you would do that, I can't exactly explain. But this is now gone into the courts. Let me here's the story as it's reported in the New York Times. The parents of two girls who said their children died as a result of a blackout challenge on TikTok are suing TikTok claiming its algorithm intentionally served the children dangerous content that led to their deaths. The girls were 8 and 9 when they died last year after viewing the challenge, which encouraged users to choke themselves and they, until they passed out, according to the lawsuit. The suit claims TikTok knew or should have known that its product was addictive. That is, that, that people were, get addicted to TikTok. And it was directing children to harmful content and that it failed to take significant action to stop those videos or warn children and parents about them. The complaint cites in particular TikTok's For You page, which the complaint says shows a stream of videos selected by an algorithm developed by TikTok that is based on a user's demographic likes and prior activity. TikTok needs to be held accountable for pushing deadly content on these two young girls, says somebody. Uh, TikTok says we're not going to comment on this, but in December, this is what we said when People Magazine reported that a mother from Pennsylvania said her 10-year-old daughter had died while trying the blackout challenge. This disturbing challenge, this is what TikTok says, which people seem to learn about from sources other than TikTok, long predates our platform and has never been a TikTok trend. Um, and it cites a federal report about deaths from the choking game in 1995 to 2007. We remain vigilant in our commitment to user safety and would immediately remove related content if found. Our deepest sympathies go to the family for this tragic loss. Um, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Apparently, um, so you, you get the idea. One of the girls, the 8-year-old, got her first cell phone on her 8th birthday in 2021, became addicted to TikTok, where she posted videos of herself singing and dancing because she wanted to become TikTok famous. And apparently, you know, some of the videos on TikTok show these people choking themselves till they pass out, and this girl saw that and decided to try it herself. 855 616 which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let, let's, 
let's tee this up. You have a kid who gets access to the, the Internet, gets access to these various social media platforms, is able to find stuff which is, I, I think, certainly I would argue unsuitable for somebody who's an eight or nine years old, and then decides, hey, this looks like fun. I'm seeing other people who are doing this. I'm going to do it myself. And surprise follows surprise. You know, you put a noose around your neck or something like that and try to choke yourself till you pass out, and surprise follows surprise. Bad things happen. Is this the fault of TikTok? the social media company, or is, to the extent there's anybody to blame, is it maybe somebody else's responsibility? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We just trying to catch a good time. Even if it takes all- we are broadcasting live from the lakefront on our Pella Windows and Doors mobile studio at Summerfest. Stop by, see your favorite WTMJ personalities, and... Again, uh, this is Nico Moon performing at the U.S. Cellular Connection stage down here at Summerfest. I had an opportunity. I went out at the uh, top of the hour break, and it's just, it is absolutely beautiful down here. All right, this is a very difficult t- subject because it, it's a horrible result. If you're just tuning in, TikTok, which is one of the, the social media applications, um, it, it's, it's also where, where people put videos of themselves out there. Sometimes they're you know, videos of people singing. You know, they want to break. They want to become TikTok stars because they hope that that's gonna, they're going to develop a fan base and they're going to break into, I don't know, sort of mainstream entertainment. A number of the younger performers at Summerfest, they started out as quote-unquote TikTok stars. TikTok is also where you have the, the so-called challenges, people doing stupid things in order to get attention. So you had the, the ice bucket challenge, which at least wasn't deadly. You've had people eating Tide Pods. One of the latest things is people jumping out of moving cars and dancing in traffic. And, you know, it, it's gotten so prevalent that you know you even have some of the you know, commercials that, that are out there that mock the stuff. Well, okay. This is a serious one. Um, the choking game has been around for for decades. The idea is, you know, kids put like nooses around their necks and then they choke themselves until they they pass out and they film themselves doing it. All right. So what happens is a couple girls, one eight, one nine. Apparently, they become TikTok addicted because mom and dad have gotten them phones or where they can access the internet. They see this, they do it themselves, they kill themselves. Horrible, horrible story. Now they are suing TikTok. 855-616-1620. All right. Is that a fair challenge? And look, I I feel terrible for these parents. I, I really do. My take on this is... Now, first of all, why are you giving an 8-year-old or a 9-year-old a phone with access to the Internet? Then, number two, why aren't you monitoring what it is that they're watching? How do you let your 8-year-old daughter become TikTok addicted? That's their quotation, not mine. I, I'm taking that phone away. And while this is unfortunate, it seems to me that this is no more TikTok's fault than it would be if the kid was, I don't know, watching some TV show where she saw this happening on TV and decided to emulate it. I'm I'm sorry this is an unfortunate result. I just don't think TikTok is liable. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jeremy in Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I I agree with you in regards to the parents having responsibility. You're going to purchase a phone for your children. You best put on the safety features to ensure that they're not watching such content. Um, it kind of draws similarities to those young te- young kids up north when they had that Slenderman thing going on. 
uh, influenced yep. by media, online content, uh, anime, things like that. And even recently, right now, they're talking about this Highland shooter. And when they went through his social media content and his online presence, he was in these dark web portals, so to speak, that uh, emulate these types of mass shootings. So, I mean, there is a level of influence. Now, whether or not TikTok is held responsible, I, I don't know. It would be an interesting case. But maybe as a society, we should start thinking about what kind of content we're allowing on the Internet. And that's probably a whole other conversation, whether or not it's we as a people want to yeah. you know, allow it you know, in our worlds. But, yeah, it, it's definitely the parents should be a little bit more, uh, you know, yeah. they should be paying attention a little bit more. That's, that's for sure. Well, no, Jeremy, thanks for calling. I mean, I'm with you. Look, and I, I appreciate that you've got grieving parents here, and I, and I don't mean to minimize their loss at the same time. But I think as a parent, you have a responsibility to, okay, what, what sort of, what's your kid watching on, on television? Who's your kid hanging out with? And given what we know about the Internet, to just say, okay, you know, here, I'm going to let my 8-year-old become, again, quote-unquote, TikTok addicted. What, what, what is that all about? Now, somebody's saying, Jeff, the game was around when I was a kid in the 90s. I think the parents need to reassess their responsibility in this case. Um, Jeff, you know, um, you're making TikTok sound way worse than it is. Well, I, I look, TikTok, it's, it's like anything that's on the media. It's a social media platform. Some people, uh, lots of people love Twitter. Lots of people love Facebook. Lots of people love Instagram. Lots of people love, um, you know, uh, TikTok. It, but it's like anything that's out there, there are like dark sides of it, like our previous caller Jeremy was just referring to. And, and so that's why, especially when you're dealing with children, I think parents have an obligation to watch and monitor what it is that their you know, kids are, are actually doing. And again, I, I mean, the, the idea of, to, to me, the idea of, of giving an eight-year-old a, a cell phone with access to the internet and then not closely monitoring, you know, what they're doing is kind of like giving a 12-year-old the keys to the car and saying, go drive on the freeway. Um, Jeff, this is a parenting issue. What bonehead parent allows eight, nine-year-olds to look at TikTok unsupervised, if at all? Jeff, call me old-fashioned or whatever. I think eight and nine is too young for a cell phone or a TikTok account. Our eight and ten-year-old girls are supervised online. Well, yeah, do better parents. Um, Jeff, perhaps a better question is, has social media improved or diminished our society? Has it been better for all or created more problems for all? Does the good outweigh the bad? Well, I mean, I I actually would argue that the, the good far outweighs the bad. I mean, I think the Internet and social media, despite all the, the, the stuff that, that's out there that a lot of us find to be repulsive, I mean, I think social media allows us to communicate. It presents information. But it, it's not to say that it, it doesn't need to be regulated by by in this case it's it's parents look i'm i'm a first amendment guy i mean i I think you put stuff out there and the way you combat bad ideas is responding with with good ideas that's that's what i believe so i'm not one of these guys that's into these big restrictions and stuff but i do think when it comes to vulnerable people um namely you know especially children you know there, there are responsibilities for mom and dad and part of that responsibility is to kind of watch out you know what's going on jeff my children 
children had cell phones at nine years old. Think of the cheapest flip phone imaginable. Smartphones in the hands of children never lead to positive outcomes, especially when unsupervised. It's heartbreaking for that family, but I don't believe that TikTok is to blame. Jeff, there's no way my eight or nine-year-old child would have access to TikTok, never mind having a cell phone at, at those ages. To me, those parents are looking to blame someone else because they bear the blame for their daughter's death. Well, I, I don't. that might be a little bit harsh, too. I mean, sometimes tragic stuff just happens. And this is clearly, it's one of those tragedies that out, that's out there. But it also serves as, you know, one of these teachable moments that, you know, mom and dad, if you think you're being your kids' friends and you think you're being the pals and you're not supervising and you're not watching what they're doing on the Internet, there's all sorts of stuff that's out there that, you know, no responsible parent would let their children see, much less get addicted to. And I, I think, again, this is, again, one of these situations where just like we don't sue the movie company because, I don't know, somebody went to a shoot 'em up movie. And, and got the motivation that, gee, I'm going to, you know, go out and, and shoot a place up. We don't, I think, hold, or I don't think it's right to hold the social media company responsible because other morons on social media were doing something. They were posting it, um, and then somebody else saw it and acted upon it. Um, it's unfortunate. It's sad. But I just, I don't think the lawsuit's going to go anywhere. Once again, we are broadcasting live from Summerfest 2022. This is the third weekend, the final weekend. Come on down. It is absolutely tremendous out here. I've told this story before. The, the only time I ever got audited by the, US, by the, by the IRS was because I, I'd done our taxes. I'm, I have an accountant that does them now. But I, I'd done our taxes. I, I sent them off. And all of a sudden, uh, about three weeks after I send them off, I get a check back from the IRS saying, you made a mistake on your tax returns, and here's, it was, it was like a five-figure check. I mean, it was like a $10,000 check. And it, it, it caught my attention because while I'm fully willing to acknowledge that I might make a mistake on tax returns, I doubt that I'm going to make a mistake that's going to cost me that kind of money. So I remember that the check came on a Friday afternoon, and I spent... We were supposed to go out to dinner. I, I didn't go out to dinner. I spent an hour and a half trying to figure out what had happened, and I, I was. The, the IRS, when they were processing my tax return, um, treated treated something that uh, was self-employed income as like a company income. And in any event, they, they calculated that I owed less money than I did, but that wasn't true. So I, I immediately I send this letter back to the IRS along with the check saying, you, you have made a mistake, and as much as I'd like this, this money, it, it's not mine. The response I got from the IRS was, thank you for your letter. We're going to audit you. So by, by trying to give them the money back, I got audited. And it, it went on for a couple months. And then ultimately they sent me a letter saying, yeah, you, you, were, you were correct. We found no irregularities, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I got audited for essentially trying to give them back money that I shouldn't have had in the first place. So. I, but, you know, you don't mess around with the IRS. That's, that's one of my takes from my years as a federal prosecutor. The IRS has no sense of humor. And when you get this notice saying that you're being audited, it definitely gets your attention, which is why I think this is an interesting story. New York Times reporting that James Comey, who was, of course, the former FBI director, and um, in addition to James Comey, you also had one of the other agents who was responsible, Andrew McCabe, the deputy FBI agent, in a two-year period 
and of course they were they were hostile or President Trump viewed them as being hostile. You know, Trump ended up firing Comey. Comey and McCabe in a two year period both got selected for audits out of nearly 153 million individual returns filed in 2017. The IRS targeted about 5,000, roughly one out of 30,600. And Comey's was one of the ones that got audited then. And the same thing then happened with McCabe, who was the acting director of the FBI after McCombie's firing. He happened to get audited in 2019. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, we don't know if there were shenanigans here or what, but it's really highly unusual, given that the odds are 1 in 31,000 that you're going to get audited, that these two high-profile people ended up getting audited within two years of each other. I hope, hope, hope that there's nothing to this because whether it's Lyndon Johnson or Richard Nixon or whoever, using the IRS to go after opponents is just, it's the ultimate no-no. And it's just, it's just wrong on so many different levels. So don't know if that's the case or not, but right now both Comey and McCabe are saying, kind of strange that we got picked for audits um, during the Trump administration. Time will tell where that goes. Welcome back. We are broadcasting live from Summerfest 2022. A wonderful day down here. A lot of great acts. Uh, as I was saying earlier, I'm coming back to go see the Rod Stewart show and Cheap Trick and at the BMO stage, John Fogarty, who of course was the driving force behind Creedence Clearwater Revival. He's he's playing as well. So a lot of great stuff. And if you're down here, want to check out a band called Weird Science. They're playing at 9 o'clock this evening um, at the Guitars for Vet stage. Um, our, our great engineer, John Tyler, he's He's one of the performers in that band. So going to see a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm going to be dragging tomorrow. I know because it's going to be a late night. I, I, I understand that. But I'll have after tomorrow's program, I'll have the weekend to recover from that. Um, I, I wanted to offer a couple comments about what's going on in in Britain. Uh, because I think some people are, are, are sort of unclear about you know what, what happens and, and how their government differs from ours. The story, of course, is that Boris Johnson, who was kind of like... Britain's version of Donald Trump in many regards, just kind of a sort of a love him or hate him, a larger than life kind of figure. Boris Johnson, I think, surprised many people a couple of years ago by taking over as the prime minister. Well, the announcement is that he's um, resigning uh, today. He's announcing he's going to resign as soon as his successor is in, in place. And it's been sort of a messy ending to this because, you know, Johnson, who, who came into power with just huge electoral majorities, um, he's he, he's actually sort of squandered away a lot of that stuff by by doing things like during COVID crackdowns when there were all these rules in Great Britain about what you could and couldn't do. You know, it was exposed that he was having these parties and things like that. And that didn't sit well. And that, the straw that broke the camel's back, back for Boris Johnson was apparently there was a an ally of his that he elevated to a particular position. Well, it turns out the guy had a history of of various allegations of misconduct. And once those came out, Boris Johnson lied about whether he knew about it. I didn't know about this at all. Well, it turned out he did know about it. And at that point in time, a number of members of his cabinet jumped ship, and he, he just lost the support of his party. So how is that different than in the United States? Well, in Great Britain, 
with a parliamentary system, they do not elect their prime minister directly. It's not like here in the United States where we elect our, our president. And then if you want to remove the president, there's an impeachment process, etc., etc. But in Great Britain, the prime minister is not directly elected by the people. What happens is the people vote for their individual representatives. They call them MPs, members of parliament. And I, I guess the equivalent would be, think a congressman. So they elect their own congressman. And in, in Great Britain, you've got various political parties, but the two big ones are the conservatives and the liberal parties. So what happens is people vote. They elect their individual ministers of parliament. In, if this was to apply to the United States, there would be 430. I don't, know, I don't know how many MPs there are in Britain. But anyways, what happens then is the party that has the majority, they form the government, and they elect who the leader is going to be, who the prime minister is going to be. So Boris Johnson was elected by the majority conservatives who you know, controlled the, the government. Well, he, he really serves at their pleasure. So if he loses support of, uh, of the conservatives, what happens is they say, hey, we've we, we got no support for you. We, we want you gone. So he then ends, ends up having to resign, which is precisely what happened. And there will be another conservative chosen by the members of parliament. So it's that's the real difference between, like, our system and the, the parliamentary system, the prime minister not directly elected. So if the prime minister loses support from his political party, they, they can dump him and find somebody new. And that happens. Happens, um, that happens with some degree of regularity, and you can argue about which system is better, but that's how it works. Okay, I think it's good news, but I'm willing to discuss this with you. The Republican National Committee will be deciding in early August where to hold the Republican National Convention in 2024, summer of 2024. There are two finalists, and we've talked about this before. Milwaukee is one of the two finalists. The other finalist is the city of Nashville. Nashville is a great city, no question about it. And I would have argued that up until recently, Nashville would have been the leader in the clubhouse to get the Republican National Convention, the RNC. Well, um, remember a couple weeks ago there was the huge fight. Some members of the Milwaukee Common Council weren't willing to support a, a bid. They weren't willing to sign off on the different things that needed to be signed off on in order to bring the RNC here. Ultimately, cooler heads prevailed, and Milwaukee put in a bid, and we've signed off on all the things. Nashville has had a huge problem because apparently a couple count in order to sign off on the same things that Milwaukee has signed off on, you know, the understandings, the agreements, the commitments for security, whatever, what needs to happen in Nashville, their process is the equivalent of their common council has to really have three votes on on a bill that that would do this. The first one was scheduled to be yesterday. However, that was pulled from the schedule because I think they decided they didn't have enough votes to get it passed. 
So they didn't want it defeated, so they pulled it from the schedule with the idea of trying to see if they can marshal support to come back like a week or two from now and get that first reading through. So as of now, it's very, very up in the air whether Nashville will will actually go ahead and try to finalize its bid. They might do it. They might not. We, we don't know for sure. And the concerns that some people in Nashville had were, okay, well, there's going to be a huge security issue if we bring the Republican National Convention here. We're already a huge tourist city, and the summer is the time when we already have a lot of tourists. Do we need to go through all the hassles and all the stuff to bring a, a the Republican National Committee here? And, you know, are we willing to come up with the money for for the grant. In addition, there's a couple of politicians who, just like a couple politicians in Milwaukee, don't like Republicans. And it's like, well, do we even want them to be here? But right now, it is very much up in the air as to whether Nashville is even going to go ahead with its bid, which means it is possible that Milwaukee could, by default, get the RNC. Now, Milwaukee has always had an advantage, I think, in the bidding process because a lot of the infrastructure was in place, because keep in mind, Milwaukee was selected in 2020 to host the Democratic National Convention, and that didn't happen about because of COVID. But a lot of the things, the security plans, where the convention is going to be held, a lot of that stuff were in place already, so it wasn't like you were starting from scratch like, the, uh, like Nashville had to do. But the way it stands right now, there is at least a chance that Nashville might not even follow through on its bid, which would, of course, make it pretty clear that the convention is coming to Milwaukee. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I appreciate that there's... If the convention comes here, they're going to bring lots of protesters with them. I I get that. There's going to be lots of security concerns. If you're trying to move around downtown Milwaukee during the Republican National Convention, my response is, you know, kind of good luck with that. But at the same time, they're going to be bringing arguably hundreds of millions of dollars here as well. So if we get the RNC, what is your reaction? Is it great? Come on down. We're thrilled to have you. Or is it maybe we should have done what Nashville did, which is kind of like bail out? 855-616-1620. I am genuinely, genuinely excited about hosting the Republican National Convention in Milwaukee in 2024. I think that would be great for the community, even though I recognize that there would be some challenges. And candidly, if Nashville pulls out and we get it by default, I think that would be great. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. This is Los Strait, spelled as if in the body of water, not like straight, like a straight line, but like the, the straits of whatever. Uh, Los Strait Jackets performing at the Generac stage right behind us later on today. It really is a great lineup at Summerfest today. So uh, come on down. It's it's sort of baby boomer heaven. So at least for me, if you're a baby boomer, this is what you want to see. I'm going to the Cheap Trick Rod Stewart show. want to see John Fogarty, all sorts of other great stuff around. Plenty of room. Come on down. Enjoy the last weekend of Summerfest. We don't know this for sure, and I don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse, but Nashville is having all sorts of trouble getting its act together, and it may very well be that Nashville doesn't even go ahead and bid for the 2024 Republican National Convention, which means if that happens, it's coming to Milwaukee. How do you feel about that? Let's start with uh, Doug on the east side. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hi, Jeff. Uh, Hi, Doug. To me, this is fantastic. Uh, I, I think regardless of your politics, uh, regardless of anything else, this is exciting. It's great for the city. We should embrace it completely. Uh, and, and you know, whether it's the Democratic convention or the Republican convention, the convention being here is great. Um, I'm, I'm a Brewers fan, but I even like it when the Cubs come up because it, <laughs> the Cubs fans come up because it, we make money, you know, yeah. and it's fun. I, so I, I, I'm all no. for it. Doug, thanks for calling. See, I, I agree completely. You know, one of the things when, when Milwaukee was going through this, this decision, you know, should we bring it here? I always thought it was interesting because you had a couple, like, service unions that were some of the biggest objectors. Well, we don't like the Republicans, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I was thinking, what, what are you doing? You are, figuratively speaking, you're cutting the throats of your own members who are going to be working at the jammed hotels and are going to be making all the, this money that they might not otherwise make. And you're, you're going to turn your back on it because of your particular political orientation. No, this is one, and I felt the same way when the Democratic National Convention was going to come here in, in 2020. It would have been a great opportunity. The, the real, I mean, I think the interesting irony of this is Milwaukee is in a much better position to secure the 2024 Republican National Convention because of, of the dry run they put through in, in 2020. And I think, does it make up for losing it in 2020? No, but I, I think it, it makes at least some of the pain go away. And I think everybody should be supporting this. Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, I'm elated that the uh, convention hopefully is going to come here and you know, for the record, I'm a political independent who kind of leans Democratic. But, uh, you know, for the reasons you cited, people are going to come in, they're going to spend money, but uh, you're going to have uh, national news networks originating their newscasts and broadcasts from Milwaukee. So the name Milwaukee is going to be spread over the country and maybe beyond. And to me, this is publicity money can't buy. Well, yeah, Dennis, because you're right, because it's, it's not all going to be about political coverage. You're going to have all the, these networks who, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on in the in the arenas and stuff, but they're going to be out at different venues. They're, they're going to be on the lakefront. They're going to be all over. They're going to be showcasing Milwaukee in the summer. And, and, and let's face it, I mean, southeastern Wisconsin in general, Milwaukee in the summer, it's a beautiful time. I mean, it really, you, you really at least have the potential to see this city at its very, very best it's it's just like why the, the golf tournaments you know you love having golf tournaments up at whistling straits because people from all over the world get to see hey th- this is this is what Kohler golf looks like maybe we want to fly there it's the same potential thing going on um for the convention i i couldn't agree more and like i said it's it's publicity for milwaukee that money can't buy yeah, no, thanks for call. I, I appreciate it. Look, and I understand it comes with challenges, and I, 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 I appreciate the challenges that, that they're talking about in Nashville. You, you've got some people who are saying, well, okay, where is the money going to come from? You know, we've got to come up with certain commitments and stuff. In, in Milwaukee, I, I have a feeling um, that, that there's not going to be a problem with that, but you need to have security plans in place, and that's why, again, the dry run for 2020 really has helped out. Jeff, I'm a slightly liberal-leading nonpartisan. I say welcome to the RNC. This could be huge for our city. Some of my more nutty liberal friends refuse to see this. Common sense is not so common anymore. Um, Jeff, I realize it's good for the city. I realize it'll be lucrative. I have concerns about groups that could cause havoc, and and, and that is always the the potential. And I, I think, obviously... 
authorities are going to have to be on guard for that, whether it's left-wing groups that are coming here to disrupt and protest and create problems, or right-wing groups that are coming here to disrupt and protest and cause problems. You know, you're going to be doing that. Jeff, it's going to be total chaos. Um, um, Unbelievable. I can't believe we're even thinking about this. Well, I don't think it's going to be chaos. I think what you're going to see is, I think if Milwaukee is fortunate enough to get it, I think it's going to be a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience that I think a lot of us political junkies are certainly going to remember.